Hello and welcome to Talking to Lead Hers, the podcast where we extend the conversation around female entrepreneurship beyond the challenges and instead focus on positivity and the actions we can each take to drive change. Hi, I'm Elliot Cowan, a partner in the Corporate Transactions team at CMS. In today's episode, I am talking to Michaela Druckmann, founder of Grey Parrot, about founding a mission-led business, the importance of building a support network, and how the relationship with investors changes at different stages of the growth journey. Um, Firstly, thank you, Michaela, for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here, Elliot. Thanks. Um, just to, to get us started, um, please can you tell us a bit more about Grey Parrot and how you founded the company? Sure. So at Grey Parrot, we provide waste, analy- waste analytics software that helps waste managers make better decisions, data-driven decisions, and ultimately increase recycling rates um, because we're trying to prevent waste going from to landfill leaking to nature and for that uh, that requires much more automation much more digitization um, and better information for those waste managers and increasingly as well for regulators that are trying to put uh, different rules and regulations around the waste and resources sector so having this level of data is really key Uh, concretely what we do is that we have a hardware that we place on top of moving conveyor belts and sorting and recycling facilities We then use um, advanced computer vision and AI to analyze those materials. And then we output those insight around the composition of the waste onto a real-time dashboard that gives them access to that uh, at any time during the operations of the the facility. Um, And and the reason why we started the company uh, really was driven by one major point, which was how do we apply new technologies and, and, and really this incredible advances in computer vision and AI to problems uh, where we can have an impact? And, you know, and two, three years ago, we were looking at the state of the world and realized that, you know, climate change, sustainability, the waste crisis, all these are such big problems to tackle. Um, and we wanted to use our expertise and, 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 you know, all the talent that we had around us to try to focus ourselves around solving such an issue. And so that was really the initial motivation to starting Grey Parrot uh, in early 2019. Great. And what are you feeling positive about at the moment? Quite a few things, actually, despite uh, despite lockdown and quite a difficult year. Uh, but at, at, uh, at Grey Parrot, we actually grew the team quite significantly recently. So after a seed round, we went from six people to uh, 16 people now. So significant growth and really uh, onboarded amazing people on the team. Um, so, for example, we have our new CTO, Johan Alt, who is the ex-CTO Royal Mail, who's adding an incredible uh, breadth of you know experience on building our infrastructure, professionalizing our services. So that's been really excellent. And same on the partnership side. Um, Stephen Alman that just joined us as well with 30 years experience in the waste um, and resources sector. So this is just some of the examples, but that's been really great to have kind of that step change in the talent at Grey Parrot. And I think just generally we're seeing a lot of momentum in um, technology linked with sustainability and climate from the investment community, the talent, 
the accelerators, everybody's kind of coming around around these issues. And that's giving a lot of, of you know, energy and momentum for companies like, uh, like Grey Parrot. Um, and just last week, we were um, selected as the CB Insights top 100 AI companies in the world uh, in the section of waste management. Um, so that was really very exciting. And even having a waste management section just proves that, you know, these industrial use cases are really becoming more and more mainstream. So that was really quite exciting for us. Just a couple of things occur to me. The first one is what we've noticed in our in our practice is what what are you know an increased focus on ESG matters on the part of our clients. And certainly, for example, when we are attending pitches, clients often want to know what we are doing on on, on an ESG front internally. Uh, it seems to me that Great Parrot possibly is able to to ride that wave of increasing focus on ESG. Is, is that something that you found, that, that, that increasing emphasis in the market the last couple of years? Absolutely. I mean, for us, it was part of our purpose and the reason of, of founding the company, not something that we kind of retrofitted after. Uh, but all the ecosystem, everyone is looking to work or support or invest uh, in companies that have that focus to a certain extent. And of course, there's a large breadth of, you know, different types of companies. There are certain that are looking at solutions for the next 30, 40 years and certain that are, you know, more short term. Um, but we're seeing kind of definitely that momentum and also from a talent perspective. So most people now are also motivated, not just by, you know, their salaries or uh, what they're doing, but want to have this kind of mission-driven, impact-led um, side in the work that they're doing. So that's also attracting a lot of incredible talent into companies like Grey Parrot and others that are, you know, tackling some of the ESGs as well. And one thing that I was quite interested in you touched on is since you've had your seed funding from last year, the, the rate of hires that you, you, you've taken on, and that's obviously happened during lockdown, I presume that most of your work has been either exclusively or predominantly remote. How have you found or how have you approached the challenge of, of, of building a culture, A, with an, quite an expanding team? So, I mean, from six people, which is a very small nucleus to 16, but also doing that, so having, you know, maintaining and building a culture, A, with that increase in size, almost threefold, but also B, doing so, those people um, are working predominantly remotely. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And um, it's been uh, a journey and it was quite challenging at the beginning to have that shift because we were quite used to being um, a lot in person and meeting, um, you know, being in the office, spending time together, having lunch. You know, that was really part of how we were building bonds. And we had to transform that to a kind of a remote culture. Um, and what we found is that essentially we have to be much more intentional about how we build our culture. So, you know, things that maybe might have happened happen naturally, like having a coffee and having a conversation, you now need to plan these things uh, quite concretely. Mm -hmm. What we did as well is that we onboarded on the team ahead of people, uh, Caitlin Crossley. Um, and even if it's you know a fairly small team, we thought that that's really important, again, to actively uh, seek those connections, seek that feedback, um, and really take care of everyone, even if we're you know, in a remote, um, in, in a remote culture, in a remote environment. And so that was a very deliberate choice from us to, to integrate that into the team from, uh, from quite an early start. And in terms of 
the impact of COVID, I appreciate obviously it's been a big impact on your team given everyone's remote. But how have you found? Because what, what occurs to me is, I mean, for example, I'm at home more, right? So I'm, the waste that I am producing, I'm producing a lot less office waste because I'm not in the I'm in the office since last March, and a lot more domestic waste. In terms of actually the kind of the waste domestic or international waste production, I presume that has changed quite dramatically as, as a result of COVID. Is that something that you've um, kind of had to adapt? Maybe you haven't had to adapt it because there's still waste. I'm just wondering what what's been the kind of change, if any, to, to your business model. So. Uh, indeed, there's been a, there, especially last year when when COVID hit last March, there's there's, there's been a dramatic change in the split of waste um, from its provenance and and, and sort of um, composition as well. So, for example, commercial waste has decreased significantly. So, you know, office paper, etc., because uh, like you said, you are not in the office and not producing that waste there. However. Um, household waste has increased significantly. And so some of our customers were saying, you know, we're at Christmas levels um, of waste, you know, generation um, for months and months and months. So there was a lot of pressure on the system. What it also revealed is that such shocks of fluctuation in the waste composition obviously disturbs the process and the sorting and the ability to output really high quality secondary materials for sale. And therefore, again, that composition automation, having more and more flexibility in those environments became even clearer. And so for us, it kind of supported the use case of what we're doing. Um, the, the other thing that we had to adapt to obviously is being able to service those customers remotely. Um, so, you know, at, at the beginning, we used to go and install physically all these items. And we again had to shift to a remote installation. So we're now actually able to ship our units worldwide, including to South Korea, Japan, uh, for remote installations. And I think those trends will continue uh, where, you know, the waste will keep changing significantly. We're going to have new materials coming in and those facilities have to be much more adaptable. And also that willingness to have less and less kind of manual and human intervention in those quite difficult um, environments as well. I mean, I imagine, for example, cardboard waste must have gone through the roof. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So there was kind of a it's the, the volume of waste did not go down. Yeah. Basically, the composition changed quite significantly with household, with the cardboard, et cetera, going, um, going you know, really up. Um, yeah. I think two, three years ago when we went into the market and we're talking about, you know, waste and resources and, you know, the waste crisis and plastic. Um, and climate change, like it was still very niche conversations and we had to do a lot of effort on educating the market around these topics. And now, you know, it's become mainstream. Everybody's seeking that, everybody's understanding that this is a top priority. So you have, for example, funds that are specially focused on these things, but you also have generalist funds that don't necessarily have a focus on climate, but are naturally going towards that. So I think that's been very positive that um, we're feeling this this momentum, and also just generally, um, you know, from a COVID perspective, starting to see a little bit the the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you know, some progression. Obviously, for a startup, you're used to operating in a lot of uncertainty, uh, but the added uncertainty of COVID was quite extreme, with a lot of volatility uh, in you know in, in in the way we run the business. So. Um, I think that's going to help be helpful for everyone to start seeing a bit of stability and being able to travel and 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 so on. One, one thing that you mentioned, I wanted to touch on in your previous answer, was when you're 
you're, when you're talking to people, particularly when you're attracting staff and new joiners, you're finding that for them, it's, it's there's an increasing importance of um, uh, having a role that has an ESG element. And I'm just wanting to delve into a bit more because I mean, I, I'm of a certain age uh, in my late thirties where you know, the thing things like this were important, but I sense. I wouldn't say people who are a generation younger than me, because you know, that would be 25 years, but certainly people who are like 10, 15, 10, 15 years younger. I sense there's a bit of a sea change that in terms of their prioritization of their values, it is actually more, for, for many of them, because it was a much higher importance in doing a role that has some kind of social utility. Is, is that something that you've you've come across when hiring and trying to recruit staff? Absolutely. Um the, the alignment with their values is just more and more important. And often it is linked with um, climate change, sustainability. Uh, because again, I think they, they grew up in a generation where their, that awareness was much higher. Um, and they just don't want to be working towards something that is that doesn't have necessarily a purpose. They want to contribute to solving these problems. Um, and that's been at the core of our hiring as well. But with the younger generation, you can see that that's very important to them. Very interesting. And how has Grey Parrot evolved since you started the business? Yeah, it's a, it evolved quite a lot, actually. Um, you know, like any early stage company, we went through what we call that sort of product market fit <laughs> uh, research phase. For us, it took about a year. So when we embarked on this journey early 2019, you know, again, we, we started with that mission of we want to apply computer vision and technology to solve key problems uh, around sustainability, and particularly in the waste crisis. And so that's very broad. Um, and we looked at the entire value chain of waste from, you know, the way people recycle, if they're confused because they're recycling, all the way through very industrial use cases and robotics. Um, and we iterated many times. So, you know, we had prototypes for apps that would help people understand what they need to put into their recycling. We had prototypes for st smart bins um, and then also prototypes for, our, you know, our current product now. And so we, we really approached it with kind of this lean startup um, methodology of really putting things out in the market, testing it and getting a lot of feedback. So we spoke to hundreds of people in the industry um, from, you know, the waste managers, local authorities, the brands to understand the pain points, where the problems were coming from, and slowly, slowly eliminating some of those use cases. And when we started focusing primarily on the sorting facilities and providing better data there, that's really where we started seeing that traction, really that fit of what we're talking about, what we're proposing is really responding to a to a need to a pain point that the customer have, and by the end of 2019, so it took us about a year, we fully refocused on that problem um, and really starting building the product towards that. Um, so it was quite quite a quite a journey to get there. Uh, one that can be quite uncomfortable because you're in a lot of uncertainty, uh, but it's also an exciting phase uh, in a startup's life of you know being able to iterate so quickly uh, when you're when you're a small team. We're touching on you know, the, the evolution question. One thing you mentioned in one of your pre in the previous conversations, because of COVID, you're now not able to physically meet clients and install the software, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But one thing that's I know about you based on our previous discussions, you've actually been had various 
interesting meetings in very interesting places. So you've been to, um, I know, I know you've been to South Korea a few times. Um, I presume other kind of slightly not 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 so much unusual, but it's more places that you probably didn't imagine like, in, yep. in, in, where you univer rooms where you did not imagine you'd be in when you were in university or starting your first job. How did you kind of learn or adjust to being in a foreign culture? And I imagine probably being one of the very few women in the room as well. I'd imagine pitching and marketing the product and just that, that whole kind of experience how did you approach it and what did you learn from it well i i come from a very you know multicultural background uh, very mixed background so turkish swiss spanish polish but a bit of everything um so grew up in quite kind of these kind of multicultural environments which taught me how to be able to adapt quite quickly um and also uh, studied international business where we specifically had a lot of, um, you know, courses and case studies and experiences and learning how to operate in very, very different business, you know, cultures, essentially. So I think that that helped me. And also uh, through the experience in my previous roles where we were very international, that helped a lot. Um, and that's something that I genuinely enjoy, um, that adaptation. Uh, of course, it comes with its own, you know, challenges, language barriers, culture barriers, etc. But I think uh, that's one of the strengths, actually, um, of our team. And even as it is right now, our team is is very, very international. Uh, and I think that's helping us kind of access a lot of different customers in different markets. And and we thought we were gonna, you know, expand to certain markets later on because obviously we were, you know, physically not close enough. But um, what happened with COVID is that it forced us to have this kind of remote mindset, remote installation, and actually we're able to access more markets than we thought uh, from, a, from an earlier stage. Great. And just um, taking a different direction, I think people listening to this podcast would be quite keen to know what the basis of the name, Grey Parrot, is. It's not obvious that the connection between the name and, and, and what the company does. Yeah, sure. That's a, that's a good question that we get often. Um, so the, the African gray parrot is actually one of the, the smartest birds out there that has incredible cognitive abilities of remembering words, remembering uh, faces, objects. Um, and that's very much how AI works as well. So we wanted to have a name that kind of referred um, to nature and kind of mimic the way that we train our models and that we, and, you know, um, essentially build our technology. Um, and specifically wanted to not have a very generic name um, of the industry because with all, you know, the circular startups that are out there, essentially it, it's all kind of the same, the same names, a little bit reshuffled. And we just wanted to go for something quite different um, and referring to nature as well. So that's where the name Grey Parrot comes from. Okay. Um, thanks for that, Michaela. Leaders was established in response to the findings of the rules review, which was uh, conducted to support female founders, particularly as they go through the fundraising process. What's your experience been of fundraising? It'd be really helpful if you could tell us what the, you know, the various routes you, you've taken when, when seeking to raise money. Yeah. Um, so I fundraising is difficult uh, for everyone. I mean, that's uh, <laughs> there's no way around it. Um, the things that have helped us was, first of all, leveraging a lot our our, um, our network that we already had. 
and really asking for help. And sometimes it can feel, you know, difficult to ask for help, but that's kind of a muscle um, that I especially built out throughout this process of asking for introductions, asking to, you know, have advisors or, or, or so on. Um, and that's really important and making it, making it easy for other people to help you. So, you know, the basic things of having quick intros, having quick emails that people can send and do that. And what I found is most of the time people are very happy to do that um, if they believe in, in what you're doing. Um, so that's been very helpful. The second, uh, the second route for us has been through accelerators. So very specialized accelerators around AI in particular. So for example, Tech Nation Applied AI or Machine Learning Garage from Digital Catapult, CDL at Oxford. All these accelerators have helped us connect with a very unique um, set of investors that are already pre-filtered and interesting in AI and understand kind of some of the dynamics of AI companies. And I think that was very, you know, very helpful. Um, and then I think finally, it was a lot of adjustment in terms of the approach. And um, I was very lucky to have very good mentors around me to help me with this, but it's essentially a, you know, a process that you're going through where you're going to get a lot of no's and you just need a few yeses. So being able to, you know, churn that volume of conversation and filter very quickly the people that you think are going to believe in you or be on this journey with you is actually very important. So using a lot of tools to be able to have, you know, 10, 15 conversations per day was quite important. So really kind of that process side uh, was also very key for us to be able to filter down to just a few funds that we thought were a good fit and, 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 and that we trusted and felt confident to be on a journey with for a long time. And how have you found managing both the fundraising process, which from my experience advising multiple companies is uh, for the CEO and any co-founder an all-consuming task. How have, you, how have you found managing that at the same time managing the business? That, that's definitely a, a challenge and any fundraising process is, is very consuming, especially for the CEO. So the, the, um, the approach that I took is that I dedicated myself almost 100% to the fundraise because I wanted to have a, a limited amount of time where this is a full focus uh, and not drag this for you know months and months and months, which is often what happens if, if you're not giving 100% of your time. I also specifically didn't want the rest of the team to be that involved. And so I run most of the process myself, of course, with some support of the team, but I did most of the, you know, all the initial meetings myself because I wanted them to be focused on the business, on the product, on getting things moving. And so we could have that in parallel because obviously that also feeds into the fundraising. If you see that in the few months of you're speaking to people, you've closed new deals or if you had big product milestones, that also supports the, the fundraising. Um, and so, yeah, that was my approach to be 100% focused and to kind of a little bit isolate the team uh, from that process so they can keep working on, on the business side. And just finishing up, as, as part of the CMS Equip Leaders Initiative, we are encouraging everyone to commit to one positive action, big or small, that will support female founders. What positive action will you take this year to support female founders in your industry? That's a fantastic initiative. So um, I kind of have two 
<laughs> this year. But the first one is that I always take the time to help a fellow female founder or aspiring entrepreneur, uh, if I can, in fundraising, in preparing for fundraising and thinking about their business, especially if they're already stage uh, where I have most experience. You know, and, and as a founder, CEO, you can be very, very busy, but I will always take the time um, to do that. Um, and the second area is uh, I hope to be a little bit of a <laughs> example this year. Um, so I'm currently uh, almost eight months pregnant um, and obviously combining, you know, being a founder and CEO and building a family is not very common. And I was, you know, I had the chance to see um, few women, not, not many, but few women talk about this very openly. And that really helped me. Uh, you know, become a founder and not be scared that, you know, in the next few years I might have a family. Is this going to be possible? And so I would hope to do the same also this year, although I'm quite private usually about these things. I, I, I will talk about it because I think it's important to have kind of different uh, models um, that are out there that people can look up to. And well, first of all, congratulations on your wonderful news. And I, I have advised various female founders who have been going through you know, pregnancy and the start of motherhood and one in particular who I've advised has actually sold their company whilst about to, you know, in the run-up to giving birth, which is a highly <laughs> stressful experience. I think actually bringing this full circle, I think we actually met at the yes. event I'd be describing, it's occurred to me, which was, I think it was three or four female founders talking about how they'd managed. Uh, That's exactly the event that we met at. Um, there was a Boulderton event around family yeah. and startup life. And actually that was a, uh, kind of, yeah, big turning point for me at that event uh, when I saw those female founders talking about it. And yes, so it's interesting that we are indeed full circle having this conversation <laughs> after meeting there. Well, the only thing I could say is as a father of two young children, if you think having one is tough, try, try the second. And that's when, <laughs> uh, that, that's when it really uh, does get quite, quite intense. Um, but look, that, that's great news and congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you and good luck for the you know for for a very exciting year for you both on a professional and a, a personal life and at cms we'll be here to support you thanks michaela for joining us today that was a great conversation you can find more information on cms equip in the startup section of cms.law